Okay, and uh, and uh, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Of the Comics, by the Comics, for the Comics. Very excited about today's episode. We are going to talk about the psychology of comedy. And our guest today, we've got Mr. Leo Flowers, a fantastic performer who also happens to have a master's in psychology. And his guest, who he requested to be on the episode, Nick, a wonderful comedian, uh, very much looking forward to talking about the psychology of comedy. I'm your host, Pat Truer. We're going to dive right in. So, uh, gentlemen, and, and whoever wants to field this one first this very broad question which we will then focus in on how would you let's start leo how would you describe the psychology of comedy to a, a non-comedian and then also to a comedian let's start with a non-comedian and then go to the comedians how you would describe the psychology of comedy uh, you know i richard Pryor gave me my framework initially of just feeling like you're you're talking to people in your living room these are your guests and, you know, when you are talking to people in your living room, you're laid back, you're the host, you want everybody to feel comfortable. But you also might say some crazy stuff, you know, you might say some off the ease of people are in your house. Um, and so you want to have that relaxed vibe of, um, uh, you know, feeling free enough to say what you want, because these are people that you ultimately care about. So everything that you're saying is, is, is with good intention, because... I would think that if you're inviting people to your house, um, it, it, these are people that you like, that you love, <laughs> that you, you care about. And so even if you say something that uh, may be disagreeable or contentious, uh, you're, it, it's, it's coming from the heart and, and it is not to divide or have anybody leave uh, per se. So when I go on stage with that type of mentality, <clears throat> I think that uh, people can feel that they can sense that whether you are trying to stir up the pot or if you're really speaking from a, a true place. And so for me, that's the foundation of the psychology of, of comedy for me of these are my guests. Uh, these are people who I am so glad that they're here first and I definitely want them to come back. Oh, terrific. Nick, what do you think? Uh, if I was going to explain to other comics, which I, I constantly try to do, uh, it's, it's mild riot control is how I look at it, because basically you have to, everything that Leo said is exactly right after you get the, the crowd into control. But if you never get that crowd into control, then all you're doing is surviving the entire time. So it's just, you know getting on stage and commanding an audience to show them like, I, I am worth being here. I, you should be listening to me. Uh, I am a pro and you know, that's really a psychology. It's just crowd control in a weird way to me. Yeah. What were some lessons that you had to learn like, or some strategies along the way that helped you uh, gain that the crowd control element, realize that how important that was. I, I performed at biker bars. Uh, I performed at tattoo rallies. Uh, you know, it was those things. Uh, even even like uh, corporate gigs where you're just like, everybody's aware of the boss and they're not letting go. Um, just knowing, I, I guess, like Leo said, you know, you might say something crazy. And if you do, knowing how to recover. A lot of stand-up is knowing how to recover, you know, uh, the best stand-ups are, I'm going to say something that you're going to disagree with, but by the end of this five minutes, you're going to be all about it. You know, 
And so it's just constant recovery. It's, it's the one compliment that people gave Carson all the time. Every time uh, Johnny Carson, a joke bombed, he was good at recovering. Yeah. That's what they almost loved it more that he did that. Yeah. So uh, would you say that you've been able to like reckon up for your recovery skills on stage, uh, recognize when it is bombing and maybe certain strategies or tactics that you've used? Uh, like, would you say there's an, um, how would I say this? Maybe uh, an outline in your head of, hey, this, this joke did not go how I thought it is. Now I'm going to revert to this recovery method, maybe. Yes. I got one that is a crutch and I got one that I do intentionally. Uh, the crutch is, was that just me? And then, uh, you know, I move on. <laughs> <laughs> I allow that. I allow myself to be the only one that had the thought. And uh, the second one is, um, oh, I just forgot what it was. Now I need to recover. What's <laughs> The, uh, the second recovery, uh, oh, self-deprecation. That's it, which is kind of another version of wasn't me. Because, you know, you're saying, oh, okay, maybe this thought's too wild. That's on me. But self-deprecation is the best way to recover. I uh, had a whole uh, year where I did political jokes. And I even laid out how to do political jokes in front of an audience. And one of the first steps is to tell them you're stupid. <laughs> If you if you tell an audience, I'm I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm dumb. They'll let you talk about anything. Uh, that's it. That's very interesting. Uh, you mentioned self-deprecation, right? They, a lot of my friends have said, like, why do you I've had some supportive friends come to my shows and be like, hey, don't say that about yourself. And you're like, no, no, it's it's OK. Like, it's a joke. But uh, did it take either one of you or both? Did it take you time to get comfortable with self-deprecation? uh on stage Leo, you know I, I i do i, I used to do more self-deprecation i don't do it uh anymore i will say um am i and i got this from dave Chappelle. uh am i boring you and i go is this boring now i won't say am i boring i go is this boring he said that in one of his specials and uh and i love that because uh it's a way of taking me out of the material and the interaction and focusing on the material of saying, is this, is this topic, is this boring you? Are you still, are you still with me? Um, and, and so that's one of my recovery methods. Um, and then uh, instead of self-deprecating, I go more of the, like, um, I guess some things just don't need to be said out loud. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll say something <laughs> like that, right? I'll go in that direction uh, or, Usually, there's always one person that is completely on board yep. uh, with what you're saying. And I'll point that person out. I was like, just me and that person are vibing. And that's okay. I only need one. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I, 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 and it's just, it wasn't an intentional thing. But as I do less, less self-deprecating stuff, uh, I know other comics who don't do it and some who do do it. But it's all about like what works for you, you know, uh, and what, how the audience perceives you. Uh, but yeah, so for me, it's more about focusing on the material like, oh, is that boring? Is this boring you? Or uh, just noticing the one person who is getting it all and writing with that. Was that, Leo, was that, you said you don't do self-deprecating or you're doing less and less of it. Yeah. Was there a reason behind that? Uh, I, I think because I, for myself, I do want to come off as an authority on, in, on some level, but 
not an authority in terms of um, I'm not telling you what to do. I want to come off as like I'm sharing my experience with you. So, for instance, when I was doing more of the material, like I was doing like more social political stuff, um, I was more telling the audience what to do and why their thoughts were ridiculous. And then as a way of balancing that, I would do the more self-deprecating stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about. Because Bill Burr does that. He goes, hey, I'm just a redhead kid with freckles. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but as, um, as I am doing less of telling the audience what to think and just sharing my experience, I'm, I'm, I'm unforgiving now. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not apologetic in sharing what I've experienced because that's a, that's a different place. Uh, either you get it or you don't. Um, and so I think it just depends on um, your style of comedy and what you're doing up there. Yeah. Leo, you told me once something that ties into something Nick just said of that you will start with uh, the heavier, more intellectual material. So then if you do the I'm just going to say bathroom stuff just as a right. very like placeholder for then it comes, then it hits harder. Nick, you just said you'll start like on, when you would do political stuff, you'll start with saying, oh, I'm stupid to like set an audience expectation on both ends. Uh, Nick, will you, when you say, Hey, I'm stupid. Don't listen to me. You're, it seems like you're manipulating the audience to be like, I'm going to set a bar here so then I can take you on a fun ride that you're not expecting. Would that be an accurate statement? Yes, definitely. Manipulation is key. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and people look at manipulation in such a negative way, but that's what it is. We are manipulating the audience. You know, we're bending them, uh, but we're manipulating them to an extent where like uh, basically the goal of the comedian is to have an audience forget themselves. And that's the manipulation. The manipulation is I'm going to make you feel safe so that you are actually feeling safe. You know, I'm going to make you feel like, like you're above me so that we can be together on the same level because I need you. I need you to be at my level. So if that, that takes lifting you up, I always said that if you talk to the smartest people in the room, the dumbest person will act like they're smart. But if you talk to the dumbest people in the room, uh, the smartest people will tune out. They'll, they'll never dumb down but you can get a dumb person to smarten up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you have any mentors uh, that helped you along the way to realize uh, essentially the power of, of being able to work a room like that? I mean, yeah. In, in uh, I, everybody that I've gone on the road with is, is kind of a, a mentor. Um, I don't want to give some of my mentors props because they are terrible people <laughs> and they were terrible to go on the road with. So I don't like actually, uh, giving them any more limelight, but they're the first comic that I kind of went on the road with did, you know, he did show me how to be confident on stage. He said, step up to the front of the stage, be in, in control, you know, and, uh, from that point on is where I kind of just took little notes from other people and little things. So you pick it up all, all over, all over the place. I'll say this, uh, the big moment that I learned how to really just let go on stage. I went to go see Pablo Francisco, who I, I I've known for a while, but when I didn't know him, I went to go see him at the Addison improv. And, you know, we were taught as comedians, 
uh, that jokes premise setup punch setup premise punch whatever you know and uh, you're supposed to have tags 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 stay within this limits don't go too far but when you watch someone like him who will take like an idea like you know this is Michael J Fox uh, making a subway sandwich and then he just does every impression of somebody doing a subway sandwich there's no linear thought it's just subway sandwich is what the celebrities are doing here's them doing it and it let me know like well it doesn't matter to have uh an entire set doesn't matter to have this big thought behind what i'm gonna say sometimes you just be silly you know was that would you uh have you ever incorporated like your own life just experiences in that regard of just like opening up be like hey i can be vulnerable on stage and like maybe that and has that helped you uh project more confidence and be more comfortable with your material yeah, I definitely uh, try to, if something has happened to me, I always try to mention it on stage. And I learned that pretty on. And I, I think, yes, in my mind, you know, I'll, I'll berate an audience. Like sometimes I'll do crowd work. And if they try to be funny, I get angry with them. And I tell them in a funny way, you know, because I'm a tiny guy, so it doesn't look intimidating. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell them like, I've been being honest with you this whole time and you're going to lie to me, you know, and that's kind of how I feel, even though I know some of the stuff I say is a little exaggerated, but in my mind, it's like, I'm being honest with you. So be honest with me. Let's have this honest moment. My whole goal with an audience, you know, is, is basically to make them uh, have a fun adult conversation again. You know, let, let's just be adults. You're not parents. You're not your career anymore. You're not anything that defines you. You're not your religion. You're not your gender. Let's let's be silly. None of these words. You don't have to keep them. And once you leave here, you be like, that was silly, and you can move on. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I think that's terrific, Leo. I see you taking a lot of notes over. What are you thinking, buddy? No, I, I love it. You know, I actually um, I want to backtrack to the self-deprecation part because I realize I do it, but in a different way. In that. Um, like, so, cause I was looking at the protein shake that I'm drinking. So, you know, like I'm working on this whole thing about like how if we keep drinking these protein shakes and these smoothies and everything and these soft foods and these packets, we're going to lose our teeth. Like, because we, as we evolve uh, based on our habits and if we're all just drinking things through a straw, then we don't need, we won't need teeth in the future and we need to start eating harder foods, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it's just an idea, but I realized like, the self-deprecating part is talking to, instead of saying we're going to lose our teeth, I'm going to lose my teeth. Like, like I'm, I'm the one drinking the protein shake. And if I keep going down this road, I'm going to lose my teeth. Right. And then my kids won't have teeth, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm in, in, instead of projecting out to the audience, I'm including myself in terms of what the outcome is going to be and, and what the ridiculous uh, fallout it, uh, will take place. So self-deprecating in, in that manner. It if seems that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it's almost plays into uh, the mentality, like group mentality of people think, you know, it's us versus them it's, and people, the human brain needs to categorize things. And if instead of us, us, the audience versus this comedian, Hey, I'm the comedian. I'm actually making us all together, even though right. I'm the I'm the object of action here. Uh, I'm I'm taking one for the team. 
Like, this is it. Like, you might relate to this. Uh, and like yeah. you were saying earlier, like, you might just have one person that you're going to. Uh, but that's, it seems to, that's a wonderful, I think that's a very valuable strategy with the self-deprecation of involving yourself just to create that sense of community with your audience uh, to get them more vested in what you have to say. Right. So instead of like, oh, I'm silly or I'm dumb or, or whatever, I, I show the thinking within the, the story or joke that I'm telling at that like I talk about walking into a bank robbery which I actually did in, in LA and I say like you know because my uh I, I like if if I was Chicago Leo I would have seen that a bank robbery was taking place but because I've been in LA too long and it was you know it, it's kind of laid back and chill my skills weren't sharp you know I was kind of dull so <laughs> so like so, you know, self-deprecating in that manner within a context of the joke versus this joke didn't work. So I'm just a silly goose. Don't listen to me kind of thing. It's kind of it's, it's embedded in the material. Yeah. I th- uh, for self-deprecation, it helped me a lot with uh, I got made fun of a lot when I was a kid. Uh, I was the youngest kid and I would like my appearance and I would be really sensitive about things that people would say to me about my appearance. And then when I started like being able to laugh at it and then being able to say it by myself, it really helped me a lot, just be a lot more confident on stage. And then, uh, then in turn going down the hallway of being more vulnerable uh, and talking about my life. And I was like, oh, I can, I can make fun of all this stuff where I used to be so self-conscious about it. But if I'm the voice the saying the thing, then okay. Like actually, you know what? It's not that bad. Uh, and it, and it really helped with my own self-confidence on stage. I've used self-deprecation as just a way. And now I, I love it when I hear people say, oh, you re- you remind me of that. I'm like, oh, that's good. I wish I had thought of that one. Cause that's, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. helped my self-confidence a tremendous amount on stage. Nick, earlier you were saying that someone taught you like be at the front of the stage. Uh, you know, a part of the psychology of comedy of doing little uh, strategies here and there or tactics for both of you, what have been some other uh, strategies or methods that you've used uh, in your mind that have helped develop your confidence uh, as a performer on stage? Um, you know, a lot of it is, uh, it's funny, first off, you know, going on stage, knowing your appearance and not having any distractions helps with the performance. So it's, it's like everything from don't wear a crazy shirt to step in front of the stage to make sure you're lit to uh, get immediate control, have your, your uh, like you said, setting up the community. Uh, one of the best examples of setting up a community was Bill Hicks in the uh, Young Comedian special where Rodney Dangerfield used to do the HBO special. And on one episode, it was Bill Hicks, Jerry Seinfeld, Roseanne Barr. And Bill, his first joke was, uh, do we got any smokers in the crowd, right? People clap. Yeah. He's like, man, I'm surprised you had the lung power for that. Do we have any <laughs> non-smoking? Yeah. You know, and they laughed and then, oh, do we have any non-smokers? Yeah. And then he pulls out a cigarette. He's like, yeah, I'd stop smoking if I didn't, if I didn't want to be one of you. And in that way, he separated the crowd into two groups and combined them, you know? And uh, so it's just having those little tools of like, I need something to get you in on this, this group with me. Uh, self-deprecation is typically the best way because it's like, yeah, we all, we all know what I look like. (laughs) That's one thing we can all agree on. We all know this is how I look and we all know the thoughts. 
And then it's just, uh, it's beating them to the punch. You can't just say uh, the first thing they think you look like. You got to say the second, the third, the fourth, because when you say the second, the third, and the fourth, then it lets them know that not only do I am I aware, but I'm more creative at insulting myself than you'll ever be. So <laughs> stop. It's eight mile. You know, it's the end scene in eight mile when he's like, yeah, I'm white trash. Yeah, I'm this. Yeah, I'm that. And completely took every every moment that they would have had to insult him is like, now what are you going to say? Now, what are you going to say? What a wonderful way of putting it. I, I'm more creative than you'll ever be at insulting myself. That's <laughs> yeah, that's that's constant. That used to be my rebuttal to people when they would try. I'm like, you will never hurt my feelings more than I can. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's a nice uh, segue to what I was thinking about of you will never hurt yourself more than I can with comedy. There's always some low, low spots. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if, if you want to share a time or maybe you've been low in something that you that's helped you get through or if you just want to help uh, share something that's helped you get through some low times in comedy. Uh, what, what does that look like in your mind? I like to reach out to other people. Right now, I, I it uh, right now is the, oh, the worst time. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, let's, we'll, we'll start with Leo and then we'll go with Nick. OK, okay go, Leo, go. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I realize is I think a lot of people realize is during the quarantine is um, how little I've invested in my personal relationships in this pursuit of comedy. And um, and I really reached out to people who I haven't talked to in a while and talked to people who I haven't talked to extensively. You know, usually it's, hey, what's up? What's, you know, everything is uh, practical. What are you doing? Where are you going? blah, 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 you, you know, just hitting the bullet points and nothing really intimate. And so I, I've really been uh, intentional about having intimate, engaging, meaningful conversations with people in my life uh, that I've, you know, talking to my mom more frequently, talking to my sisters, I have three sisters, talking to them more frequently, calling friends, just checking in, just saying hi, sharing, uh, you know, books and 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 things um, and uh, and just really taking the time to be more present in our personal relationships. Um, and it, it's a challenge, it's not easy because I just wanna go, 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 or just wanna work and, and, and do comedy. But, um, you know, comedy is not enough and, and no job is enough. You know, uh, what, if I, when I look back at what got me into comedy and what I was excited about uh, in regards to comedy, it was my experiences and you can't have experiences without people. And so if I'm isolating, withdrawing, shutting people out, then I'm also uh, diminishing my experiences and it is a diminishing law of returns. And then what are you talking about on stage, except like what you're reading, watching and listening to. Um, and that's great, but it doesn't have weight. You know, when you look at the Kings of Comedy with Bernie Mac, what would really set him off into the stratosphere was the fact that he was talking about raising his, I think it was his sister's three kids that he went to court and that his brother, you know, abandoned him. Like that whole chunk had weight. You're like, wait, what? Like who talks about that on stage? And, you know, and, and it was such a juxtaposition as to who we thought Bernie Mac was at the beginning of his set. Cause you know, he's just cursing and, 
and just talking trash. And then you find out that this guy has a heart and that, um, you know, and he's all about that family. So now you love him even more. So uh, it's uh, people, not forgetting the, the people who um, have given you the experiences that you can now talk about on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, what about you, buddy? Uh, when I go through the dark times, which seems like uh, every other day, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I constantly remind myself there's a few things. First, I remind myself about, you know what, you are you are surviving in a very unusual career. So that's a bonus. Uh, and you're surviving in a time where everyone is is having trouble finding footing in their own career. So it's like, okay that's a bonus. And you've been to Italy and you've traveled the world and you're going to Dubai next month. Okay. That's a bonus. But the biggest thing that I, I remind myself is that I was told early on that it takes 15 to 20 years to really hit as a stand-up comedian. We all signed up for that contract. And yes, there are cases where people hit in three years on their first year, but the original contract that you signed when you said you wanted to be a standup was 15 to 20 years. And uh, I keep that in my mind because it helps me just realize like it takes time. You know, I don't know what drummer it was, but there was a drummer from a band that was like, either you have a pop song, you know, one hit wonder right off the bat and you become famous or you're touring for 20 years and you develop a following, you know? Yeah. And uh, that keeps me going in the sense of like, I'm developing, I'm still developing. I just have to remind myself to continue to develop. Absolutely, development, personal development, it, it like yeah. development in best, all kinds of ways, right? Yeah, and the best part about not being known, and, and I would tell this to new comics, I'm like, you don't want to be found too soon because if you're found too soon, you haven't matured your voice. You don't even know your most, uh, you know, embarrassing moments. You don't even know how to explain it because you only know the two years that you've had the experience on stage. You want to, when you're unknown, you can develop. You can, you can get to the point where it's like, now I can say all this stuff. Yeah, the confidence to have it, right? To do, yeah. to explore everything and then like having a consistent voice that's more so true to yourself. Yeah, uh, which is in fun to watch for the audience because with many people, not with everyone, there's an element of, I wish I could do that. And it's, I wish I could do that, not just be funny. I wish I could talk like that. I wish I yeah. could say those things because I don't, I don't, I don't in my own life, unless I'm with my own close knit of people uh, only in the most with the people I trust the most in life versus, wow, look at that person. They're so comfortable they have a, they have thought, they have uh, experience, and they're not afraid to share it because it seems to be an expression. All to me, it seems like all great performers are the ones who can truly express themselves as like the, the truest form of expression of emotion in life on stage and just sharing that open. Yeah. Like it's okay to be a human being. It's absolutely okay to be a human being and to talk about that. That's the point. And 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 uh, to tag on to what you were saying, and you guys can can uh, answer. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Um, do you often hear from audience members, man, you remind me of my buddy from high school, man, you remind me of my buddy from, from, do you hear that a lot? Leo, you want to start? No, not oh, at no. all. <laughs> not at all. 
I don't remind anybody of anything. Does anybody ever say you remind me of like somebody in their life? Yeah, no. I get it. But Leo, I don't want to just derail what you were saying. It sounded like you were yeah, saying something. Yeah, uh, uh, the, the comment I, I get is more about the, uh, uh, they can relate to my experience and what I'm, what I'm talking about on stage. But I don't. I've. I don't think I've ever gotten the. You remind me of, uh, of any. Yeah, of anybody in their life. Which now I'm going to be. I'm going to be listening out for that. <laughs> uh, I do, Nick. Yeah, and I'm not at a level of either one of you two. But like, I've got what you said, Nick, and then also Leo, what you said, which I actually find to be very rewarding both times. Uh, yeah. Like, I find that way more rewarding than, wow, you're so funny. Uh, it's like when it's, when it's, I remind them of somebody, it's like a very positive person in their life. And they will explain, you remind me of my best friend. He's so like energetic and it just makes me smile. Uh, and that just like that positive association makes me feel good. And then from the experiences, Leo, uh, like I have a bit, I, I had a friend who passed away from being an alcoholic and I, and I worked it out on stage and I shared that. And I've had a couple people come up to me and say, wow, I went through the same thing you did with one of my friends. That was amazing for me to just have that. So like Leo, what you're saying earlier, like just one person in the audience, but they got it. And like, it was an experience of like to shed light on a very uh, tough subject and something and experience, but it's like, that was so rewarding to me of when people say, yes, I went through that. I went through, I, that is exactly what happened in my life because we all think that we're in these unique experiences as human beings, but no, it's, they've been forever, forever as human beings, these experiences have happened, just the forms they've happened. It's just evolved with technology. Uh, right. And, but, uh, so those two things, like, I really enjoy that aspect. It like does make me feel good. Uh, on stage to answer that question and then uh, to tag on to what uh, Leo had added there. Leo, I see you taking a lot more notes, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, my, the, the, com- I, you know what, the one comment I have gotten, I just remembered as you're talking is people sometimes say, I remind them of Will Smith. That's the one thing that I get. I get that so, sometimes. And, and, and it's like you said earlier, Leo, it's the idea of, of relating when they say something like that, it's, it's that connection of you remind me of a happy moment, somebody that made me happy. And that's our goal, you know, and kind of to tag on the whole idea of like, we're not you, we don't have unique experiences. That's, that's the point of my comedy is I want people to understand uh, every problem you've had has happened and it's okay. And look at all these people laughing because we've all been through it. And I talk a lot about relationships and that's, that's my way of saying to couples in the audience, like you think your argument's that big of a issue, but we've all had that argument. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun to hear it through the different viewpoints. Yeah. Uh, right. Cause it's like, Oh, those are exactly the words that I wanted to say in that moment, but I didn't say, uh, and this person did. It's like, Oh, and sometimes you're, it's just as humans, we change our perspective on things once we're able to laugh about something. It's like, well, you, you know, that that's the power also of, uh, of reading fiction, of reading great fiction, you know, uh, reading Anna Karenina right now. And, you know, that that's took place in like, I don't know, hundreds of years ago, a very long time ago. And to hear the, they're having the same arguments about relationships, about finances, about the government, about global war, like 
all the things we're talking about today, they were talking about back in at, at that time. And, 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 and so it makes you, it, it reminds you that, oh, this is something that we're always going to be struggling with. There is no antidote. There is no end game. There is no solution. It, but the, but the, I guess the antidote, the, 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 the solve is in the expression of it in the talking about it and not holding it in so that, uh, you know, it festers and you feel like you're the only one experiencing it. And so that isolation feeling is just such a cause of depression, uh, just a, a major r- root of it. Uh, Leo, I know that you, you know, quite a bit about that, especially with your, uh, podcast and, and just so yep. you're over your, your educational background. Uh, I mean, I, I know, would you care to elaborate on, on the importance of not feeling isolated? Yeah, you know, they, they say uh, expression or connection is the antidote to loneliness and, and depression. And, uh, and I truly believe that because um, it's when we're connected to people and or purpose, especially if you have both people and purpose, uh, then you could almost sustain any despair or any pain. Um, is when we lose our, our connection to people or purpose that uh, we lose our connection with ourselves. And, um, and then we start saying, what is this all about? What's the meaning of this? Uh, it's why you see like, you know, people really falling apart after a divorce. They've lost their person. They've lost their uh, connection to society, to friends, their routine. Um, in some cases, sometimes they lose their job, they lose their house. I mean, there's just so much loss that comes with a divorce that in some ways is more traumatizing than uh, losing someone to, you know, death, you know, uh, in some ways uh, you're typically prepared for that if you're old and, you know, a will has been made and things have been put in place, but uh, a divorce just, it it seems to, you know, there's never a good time for divorce, (laughs) Uh, but transitions, uh, those are what makes, makes things tough, but, you know, in catastrophes, that's what brings us all together. You look at 9-11, you look at the, uh, even the Vietnam War, people, America, like, came together to protest, to fight against it. Um, so it's people and purpose. And if, when we have those things, then it allows us to show up and be present. So along those lines, and to refer to like just being vulnerable on stage uh, for both of you, we'll, Nick, we'll start with you. Did you have a, a turning point in your career as a comedian where you said, it is okay for me to be vulnerable? Uh, and, and what was that, if that was the case? You know, I think I was always vulnerable. And that's kind of what helped me a lot is that I immediately went on stage. And uh, you know what? I'll tell you the first moment. I was in a comedy contest where I was doing a bit, probably my second time on stage. And I did six minutes, right? And one of the judges who I've, you know, soon learned after was only uh, in the comedy scene for two years, gave me a note that just changed the way that I presented myself. And it was, uh, you look so young, we don't believe you've done any of this. And so that moment was like, I need to, I wrote five minutes about how young I looked without knowing I was doing self-deprecation. I was like, okay, well then let me mention this. And uh, I was very irked by him saying that because in my mind, it's like, why was that the hangup? Why do you need to believe uh, you have to consider my age? And I was like, oh, because that's what people do. I've now learned that that's just how it is on stage. People, People have a thousand thoughts about you before you say anything. Uh, but that moment, and then my defiance 
about, you know, wanting to be looked at as too young to talk about certain things. I did the eight mile. I was like, oh yeah, I know I look young. I know I look like that. I know I, and I, and then I started noticing that makes people laugh. I was like, and now they understand that anything I talk about, I'm old enough. I can talk about this. I've had this experience, get away from what I look like and enjoy what I jump in, uh, what, what I say. So it was literally the second time on stage that I, that I got one of the biggest notes ever. So you understood the importance of making it plausible. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And Leo, what about you, buddy? You know, what, what I love about that, I just read this book on uh, negotiations, uh, Never Split the Difference. I recommended it to, to Pat. Chris and Moss. He talks yeah. about, yep. And he talks about the accusation audit and how important that is in negotiation. And basically it's like if, before you ask for anything, you, you tell them all the things that they're going to think and feel like, listen, I, I know I'm going to come off like a jerk and a, and a monster. And I know that you're busy and you, you know, you get horrible clients all the time and uh, you probably feel like I'm, I'm wasting your time. And then you go on with the ask or the message or whatever. And that's exactly what we do as comedians of like, Hey, I know you think that I'm X, Y, and Z, and, and you got this going on and it's the late show it's midnight and you guys have, we're standing yep. in line for an hour and the, the, the wait, the, the wait staff is a little slow with the drinks, you know, like you're just, you, you basically are spitting out all the things that they're thinking. So they go, yeah, yeah. Like you got, it's almost like church. That's right. Uh-huh. Say it again. <laughs> Amen. You know? And, and then once they go, okay, he's one of us, he's on our side. Now you can go into your, what, you know, your material. You know, it's funny. I have a story that fits exactly that. So I was doing, uh, I used to tour with Joe Coy for a bit and Joe uh, goes long on his shows all the time. He'll do two hours uh, and he'll do two hours first show, which means that the 10 PM show that was going to happen is now pushed back to like midnight. Right. And it was in San Francisco and it was chilly. Luckily people in San Francisco know that it's going to be chilly. So they wear coats but I was the third comic up and every comic before me was just bombing. And I knew two things. Uh, I knew uh, they want to see Joe Coy. They don't want to see his friends. They'll accept the host. They don't want two and three, you know, so I'm third. So they really don't want to see me. They want Joe Coy, right? They've been waiting. They, they got their time pushed back. So I acknowledge I know you want to see Joe, he's coming up. And then the second thing was, and I know you were freezing outside, stuck in line, and you could just feel the audience be like, thank you, you know? <laughs> and my set went great with just those two acknowledgements, which the other comics didn't do. They just went into their set. You're addressing the unheard voice. Oh, yeah. you hear us, you get us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ah, Don't worry, by... Joe, Joe's, Joe's after me. There's nobody else. And also I get that you were freezing. Finally, someone said, you know? <laughs> yeah. Leo, you were, you've been overlapping on that one. What did you have some stories that came to mind as well? Well, no, I was just thinking about my girlfriend of like, you know, uh, like I have to acknowledge how she feels about things. And then all of a sudden we have this great conversation afterwards, you know, like all this stuff trans, these are just communication tools. And, and, and it's, it's like at, at the foundation, we all want to be seen, heard, understood, right? Whether you're talking to an audience, whether you're talking to your girlfriend, whether you're talking to your boss or a stranger on the street, you know, I mean, I, I mean you think about like, 
and I know it's, it's cheesy and it could be it's misogynistic, but it's like, it's why so many guys back in the day was like, what's up, blue shirt? Or what's up, green pants? Like, <laughs> like and, 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 you know, and, and women go, oh, why are you doing that? But there are women who like that. They go, oh, he noticed my blue shirt. My boyfriend didn't even notice I put on his blue shirt and it's a brand new blue shirt, you know, that kind of thing. So we all want to be seen, heard, understood. And as soon as we do that, it breaks the ice. And, and I think a lot of people going back to the isolation or withdrawing is that um, part of it is we're consumed with us. We're consumed with myself. Like as a comedian, a lot of those first two comics went up and they thought about, oh, I hope I crush. I hope I do well. I hope my material goes over great versus, hold on, let me take a second to think about how the audience feels first. Let's put the audience first. Let's put the people first. And then let's move on from there. But, you know, they didn't do that. And now you have you have conflict. Yeah, this uh, wonderful points that uh, I know early on in the career, I certainly did not think about at all. Uh, and it wasn't until learning through experience and talking with comedians like both of you that that start to became apparent of how important that is as a performer, uh, just to establish that everything we've said, essentially, right? Because then your skills go through the roof as soon as you tap into that. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll say I would be amazed by any comedian that knew it his first year, you know, <laughs> because honestly, you have to fail. You have to mess up. Uh, and most of us, when we in our first year, we're just emulating what we saw see on TV in a way. And when you see a, a comic on TV in a special, they don't address the crowd that much. They just. Yeah. Hey, guess what? I'm Pat Oswalt. Let's start. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, and plus, a- when you're starting off, you don't have a lot of time. You get three minutes, five minutes. So you don't yeah. have time to be fiddling, with you, be concerned with the audience. You're just trying to see if I can get these jokes to work. And, and you, you know, it's just you're, you're in fight or flight mode. Absolutely. Uh, gentlemen, we've got about 15 minutes, and I had asked uh, both of you if you wanted to ask any questions. Was there anything that you wanted to ask uh, during the course uh, of this episode? Uh, Leo and, and I'll, I'll do Leo. And also, you know, uh, cause we were talking about isolation and depression and I have this belief, uh, that, you know, what depresses people the most is they have an accomplishment checklist that wasn't given to them. That was told to them. This is how you're considered successful in life. You have a great career. You have a great marriage. You have a dog you have three kids and my goal as as a comic is to tell people don't worry about that let it go all right if you don't have it that's fine the the point of life is life it's not about uh, an accomplishment checklist based on others would you feel like that is why people feel depressed or isolated is that they are they're more weighed down but by society's like checklist that's a great question. And uh, we definitely see that with depression, with suicidality, this idea of, of living up to societal expectations um, that have been said and unsaid. They're just things that are subtly suggested by your parents, right? By what they pay attention to or what they don't pay attention to, what they reward, what they laugh at. Like, look at a baby. The baby will notice what lights the parent up and makes them laugh. So then they'll keep doing the thing and the, and the kid will do the same thing. 
Uh, and so we kind of grew up with this, hey, what gets me the attention that I want? And so once you recognize what that is, then you keep doing that. Oh, getting straight A's gets me attention. Well, I'm going to stay up late and, 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 you know, go to tutoring and, and take extra classes and, you know, go to AP and never mind if it's something that I really want and desire, I, it gets me the attention and, and that internal thing that, uh, that, that we all need uh, to, to survive. Um, and I think that what happens is that's where the midlife crisis comes in. Because even in my standup, now I'm talking about how I just turned 45 and I've lived my whole life up to this point trying to be better than my dad. And my dad never said to me, be better than me. But when I was nine, he said to me, every year on your birthday, you should be focused on how you got better. And so your brain is going to take whatever information is coming in and is going to you know, filter it through whatever's already there through your, your existing operating system and, and mold it into whatever fits into your operating system. So my brain said, everything's about better. I have to be better than my dad, better than this, better, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now I'm at a place where I go, oh, I, I just need to be better than myself. And so now that's a challenge for me because I spent so much time comparing myself to my dad and to other people. I have no idea what I want and don't want and what my needs are. Like I have some idea uh, to some extent, but I'm not as in tune with that as I was with being better than my dad and societal expectations. So, you know, there's a quote that says something like, I don't know who I am when I'm not reacting to external stimulus. Right. It's like, uh, like I, I know who I am on stage. I know, I know, I know exactly what to do. There's an audience that's giving me feedback. I know who I am when I'm with my mom, but when I'm with myself, who am I? Yeah. Right. When everybody's left, when the lights are off and it's just me in a room, who am I? What do I want to do? What do I want to read? How do I want to be? Uh, what do I enjoy? That's that's where people struggle and that's when people start reaching for the food the drugs and all those things because it, it it's it's so harmless to sit with but at the same time such uh so stimulating it could be so stimulating to to figure out um and so yeah that whole identifying with other people's expectations and feeling like you're not measuring up and then you also feel like oh my that's where the imposter syndrome comes in oh my god they're going to figure out that um, this is not who I really am or what I really love. And so I, now I have to double down. Now I have to go Now I have to go to, I have to put on a cowboy hat and go to space, you know, like, like, like you gotta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so the, the thing is, is as a society, we, we admire and love overachievers and we hold them up and we never ask what is the source of their drive. And that's why you see somebody like Naomi Osaka going, I don't want to do these interviews. You know, I've, my, her whole thing was, it seemed, at least it feels like for me, she was just trying to take care of her family. And she's like, we got money now. Like, I don't need to be on this perpetual treadmill of, of you know, playing tennis and doing these interviews. We, we got a few million. We got sponsors. We good. Like, I, I don't know what more we need. So. Um, I, I don't know if that answers your question, Nick, but, um, but yeah. 
No, it's no, it's exactly it. You know, uh, especially that point of like, you know, who are you when you are by yourself? I think I am mostly with myself all the time. And I constantly do. I, I struggle with with my own uh, thoughts of like, what am I doing? I'll say it out loud. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, and I'll have to take a moment back. It's like, it's okay. Patience, time, 15 to 20 years. But there's a lot of, of those moments, I think. Uh, and, you know, it's, I think people do need to hear that, that we all sit down at some point and we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> who is this who am i what, what what are we doing right now you know yeah uh leo with what you said uh is it would it is it correct to say that with the way that the brain functions that it's uh, i don't know if this is the right term is the endorphins that are like the reward system like those chemicals fire off in your brain when you have when you meet that checklist and then it's like all of a sudden like you reach it and then there's nothing else and then they don't your brain it's almost goes idle in a, in a sense. And then it's just like a longing for more, but more of what you're unsure of. Would that be a good way of saying it? Like with, with the chemistry of the brain? Uh, tr true and not exhaustive. So as we check things off our list, yeah, it fires off some dopamine, serotonin. Like it definitely fires off drugs when we accomplish things, right? Um, however, if we over-identify with who we are through our accomplishments, then that's not sustainable, right? Because you can only accomplish so many things in a day. And there's only so, and then you only have so much serotonin and dopamine that can fire off at any given time. So then you, you kind of exhaust yourself trying to overachieve versus um, if you're process oriented, meaning, listen, I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to get on stage, you know, five times a week. Right. And so you're 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 accomplishing something. But instead of identifying with like I'm a comedian and thinking that that's who you are. And so everything you do is filtered through being a comedian versus I'm a person who does stand up comedy. And as a person who does stand up comedy, I get on stage five times a week. Um, but also as a person, I call my you know family members so many times a week. I do this, I work out, like all these different things that as if you take your, your identity out of what you do and just focus on that as a separate thing, then that allows you to be more flexible and fluid, uh, especially during something like the quarantine where if you are identified as a comedian and now you, you can't do standup, uh, uh, that could unhinge you. If you are identified as a husband and a father and a provider, and, and then you're going through a divorce, that divorce is going to unhinge you versus being able to pivot and remarry or find someone else or, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, chalking that up as an experience and, and learning from it. it. It's funny, man, that you say that, because I think I constantly uh, tell a comedian constantly and I go through through every day like, yeah, I'm a comic. Yeah, this is what comics do. I'm a comedian. I actually find my power in, 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 because I guess to me, comedian is not a career name. Comedian is literally like, yeah, I see, I see life differently, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a comedian in a, in a sense. So I actually have struggle with, uh, I'm a person first, you know, 
in in a sense like oh i'm nick i'm like well am i nick (laughs) 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 am i i didn't choose that name that's not me you know but but why is that that uh hair stuck on the shower wall (laughs) (laughs) did seinfeld ever truly get down to that (laughs) well you know and, and, you know, what's great about that is you, you mentioned something that, you know, we're kind of alluding to earlier and that we tend to think we're the only ones who have this thought that I must be a comedian if I'm having this observation about the hair being on a wall and what's the deal with ketchup and you ever <laughs> hold the door and they don't say thank you, you know, that kind of thing. So we tend to think that only comedians think like that when, you know, the reason why the audience is laughing is because they've also had yeah. that thought. So there's something about thinking that I have special superpowers and uh, so I must be this thing. Yeah. But you know, that's the beauty of studying other people in an art form. When you look at a guy like Bill Burr, Chris Rock, uh, Dave Chappelle, all these uh, uh, artists, they've all pivoted in different areas. I mean, Chris Rock has done documentaries, he's done movies, uh, you know, SNL, like he, he's, and it is not all stand up and it's not all comedy. He's branched off in, in so many different areas. Even if you look at um, not Judd Apatow, Adam Sandler, who's had a very uh, diverse career. And then you, you have some comedians who've, who've written books or have gone on to do other uh, things, uh, you know, outside their career. Or if you look at any artist, whether they're a musician or whatever, they all, a lot of them at points pivot or they have other hobbies, things that, that feed them and nurture them. Um, and so when you, when you start to, you know, they have families, they have kids, like yeah. they, they have, they, they're going to PTA meetings. Um, and you know, so it, you, it's funny because you say that, man, and uh, I hate being seen as a comedian to my fans. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be seen more. Uh, and, it, it, you know, when you were talking about Chris Rock and Adam Sandler, the only thought that went through my head is that I think my goal is I want to be known as a comedian so I don't have to be a comedian. Mm, got you know, it. it's like got you just it. know I am. That way I could do other things, you know? That's incredible. Uh, kind of starting off with the identity of feeling like you have to, you're a comedian. That's, I remember when I was, when I was started, when I got serious about comedy, I was like, I want to be a comedian. I want to be called a comedian. I, I am a comedian. I identify as a comedian. And then I would get on stage and I would bomb and I would be like, ah, oh, I've just like, I failed as who I am. Like, this is, oh, what's, what's happening here. Uh, and then I started producing shows uh, and I realized that like, essentially deep in my heart and my soul. I just want to spread joy. I just want to make, I want to, I want to help people. I want to make people laugh and and create fun times, uh, but not be reliant on other people's, you know, happiness, determining my happiness. I just want to give it my best. And I realized in producing shows that I can have a collective effort. And when I have more comedians involved and I can have, I I'm more powerful as a person who is, wanting to spread joy. The, 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 the power to spread joy to others is more powerful with other people and creating like a different avenue of just, instead of just being a comedian, it's like, I want to spread joy. That's what may, that's what gets me going and, and makes me feel good. And there's different ways of doing that, even within the world of comedy. Uh, and then, and as a result of doing it, it, it helped me to progress to like this past year during the pandemic of like producing all the zoom shows with comedians that 
I have no business being a part of a show with them on. Uh, but all of a sudden I was able to do that. And like all these other opportunities started to come my way as a result of just being open to like, don't feel like I have to take all the weight on my shoulders as a comedian to tell jokes that are just me, like find different ways to to tap into what I feel that I'm meant to do and what I, what really inspires me as a, as a human. Uh, if I can just, if I can create laughter, the chances of me uh, improving someone's day because they've just gone through something awful are much better when I have more people around me uh, and, and the, like the collective power of comedy. And then instead of just me being one comedian uh, and, and so just kind of Leo, what you're saying, well, 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 what you've both said, just reminded me of like, wow, there are different avenues for me as a person. And then like all those, all my elements reading Leo, you and I, we, we, we talk books and uh, reading and just uh, consuming content that, that inspires me also helps me to, to tap into what I feel is a part of my purpose in life. Uh, and so what you both said, just, just, triggered something with within me uh in a very well I'm, I'm glad i'm glad you mentioned that because uh because you because what you've done is you've i you've latched your identity to something that is uh more stable right like i want to spread joy and so if that's your foundation now that allows you to be more flexible because like you said you can spread joy through the podcast through stand-up comedy through a blog through uh you could be a cashier at Walmart and spread joy, right? Yeah. Like, it, like spreading joy is is not is not you can't you can't cage that. That's I can put you in any profession: teacher, garbage truck man, FedEx, Uber Eat driver, whatever, and you can spread joy through those mediums, right? And so, and and even then, you may find that over time that that paradigm shifts. Maybe your, your purpose is not to spread joy. Maybe for some reason uh, it's to become an activist and, uh, and, you know, bring awareness to, you know, turtles with straws up their nose, whatever that is, <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, but, but, but that's the thing that we want to find. Like at, at those moments when identifying with being a comedian or whatever you're identifying with no longer serves you, because there is a place where it serves you. It can drive you to become a Chris Rock and, and those guys. But when you get to a point where it becomes more of a disturbance, um, then you have to go, okay, what, what's the, what, what, what do I want my life to be about, right? Versus what I wanna be. It's like, what, what is it that, that, that really is getting me out of bed, everyone? Like, why, did I, why do I wanna be a comedian, um, you know, internally? Like, what is it, like, what is it that I'm, I'm hoping to achieve with that besides becoming known? And like, cause then you go, why do I want to become known as a comedian? Why is that important? And then we start to click through because to me that comes back to being seen. I want to be known as a comedian, right? So it's like, oh, I want to be seen as a comedian. And then you say, well, what is that going to allow me to do? What do I want from that? And you, you can click through uh, so many different ways. You know, and I, I think I actually have an answer for you. Yeah. Why do I want to be known as a comedian? Yeah, uh, is because I'm inspired by how how Robin Williams would light up a room and how he could go to a hospital and everybody's day would be better. And in my mind, it's like, I like that. You know, I am also on the uh, I like to spread joy. I would like to be in a place where it's like, 
yes, I've made you laugh. Yes, you know I'm funny. And for right now, I'm going to make you very happy. You're going to have an experience that, that's going to make you very happy. And I'll, I'll feel good because you feel happy and I walk away. You know, and, and it, it's kind of, I do want to spread joy, but that's why I want to be known as a comedian. I've always told people, you know, that my whole mindset is um, I need to convince the audience I'm funny so they let me be funny. It's like, just let me be funny. Yeah, what I'm saying right now is funny. But if you let me be funny, it'll be way better. You know, mm. right now you're making me work. Right now I'm being funny. But if you let me, it's, you're going to have a great time. So let me ask you this then. Why is it so important to you to make people's days better? And that's where I'm stuck. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think for me, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun to make people's day better. It really is. But then I do think to myself, I'm like, yeah, but would I enjoy it? Would I enjoy always being that source of funny or light joy? So in the back of my mind, it's like, that's why I want to be known as a comic. But I don't know if I'll be, if I'll be good like that. I don't know if, uh, if I'll actually enjoy uh, always lighting up a room, you know? Why, why is it important to you to be fun? Why is it important to me to be funny? No, to I, be fun. No, not funny, but fun. You said To fun. be fun? Yeah. Because, you know, in the end, I mean... That's life, man. To me right now, where I'm at in my life, I've done comedy since 2005, haven't had a regular job since 2007. So everything about me is based on me being fun. And since I've experienced life, you know, I don't have kids. I don't have, you know, since I've experienced life in this weird way through the, the lens of fun or because of the ship of fun, uh, it's let me know that life is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a lot of the things that we believe in. A lot of things that we, we do are made up, you know, so we're supposed to be experiencing life as much as possible. It's going to be bad. Life is going to be bad. That's a, that's a, a guarantee. So you should try to have fun. What happens if people don't have fun? What happens if they don't have fun? Yeah. I don't know, man. What 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 does happen if people don't have fun? I think if they don't have fun, uh, I mean, fun is is in so many different ways can be. It can mean so many things to a person. But if they're not having fun, then you're not living life. You know, we were put on this planet. You know, we we evolved from this planet to enjoy the planet, enjoy the life we were given. And uh, I understand the constraints of society and what you have to do to be in society. But in the end, we're doing everything to have fun. Jeff Bezos went to space to have fun. <laughs> you know, it's, that's, that's why he put on that cowboy. It's like, I'm going to put on a cowboy hat. I'm going to go float in space for 10 minutes to have fun. And it has nothing. I mean, it, I'm not saying it was a great thing, but for him, that was fun. And why is it important to you to be living life? Why is it important to be living life? Why is it important to you to be living life? I, because I've been given it. You know, that's it. I've been given this life. So I might as well enjoy it for as much as I can. Uh, Leo, so just... you, you saw, so Pat, you see like 
what's interesting is we started off with Nick wanting to be, um, uh, you know, wanting to be great, right? He wanted to be known as a comedian. And then we start to click through to like, I want to make people's lives better. And then we click through to like, I, I want to be fun. And then it was like, um, wh what are we living life for if we're not having fun, right? So it gets to the, the meaning of life for him. But there's another layer there because you could see in his, you could, I don't know if you felt it, Nick, like he, your demeanor, every time I asked you why, you're like, you, you got a bit more intimate, a bit more introspective, a little deeper as to what was really driving you, right? Because when you said, uh, you know, wh what's, what's the point of living life if we're not having fun? It's like, that's the meaning of life for you. It's like, it was almost like, why even exist? Why even be here if, I, if I'm not having fun, right? And so there's something about that. And, uh, you know, I, I know this is not the, the kind of podcast for that, but there's something even a little deeper there in that like living life and tying that to fun and how you can express that in different ways. I, I think buddy uh, Leo just said not for the podcast, but I actually think it is as comedians of like digging down into who you are uh, and what, what makes you tick. Right. I, uh, yeah, I could be all, I could be wrong, but I feel like the, the deeper I got to know more about myself and the reasons why I did things and, good versus bad and goals and, and then what just made me truly happy. Uh, it took time, but it's like asking questions to go back to your question of who are you when you're by yourself? Uh, mm -hmm. And so as it relates to the podcast, I actually think it's, it's spot on, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I think you really nailed it there because we have to, we have to be honest with ourselves because otherwise if we're not as performers, as people, we don't hit it. We, we think we have a check. Then we start to get a checklist that, that's not our own checklist. And, and then we, we, all of a sudden we're, again, we're, we're, we're finding, we said, Oh, we're free from our original checklist. Hey, you don't have to do this. But then all of a sudden, if we lose track of who we are, then we, then we, another checklist is created that, that doesn't apply to us. If we don't continue to ask and learn about ourselves uh, is it's kind of what you made me think about there. Uh, yeah. Cause you know, outside the world, I mean, that's why they pay, you know, that's why these companies pay millions and billions of dollars on marketing to get you to deviate, to distract you from your, your purpose. It's like, don't you want this, this Tesla or don't you want this house or don't you want to go to Bali? Like now they look great in, in the videos and then you experience most of these things and you go, I, I'd rather just uh, have a really cool conversation with friends over at a, over a fire pit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the, those, those intangibles that you can't quite, you can't monetize it. Yeah. That's uh, you know, like with the goals of comedy, like I used to think I wanted to be really famous. I wanted to have my own specials. I wanted to have, now I realize I don't want to be famous. I, I want to uh, just help make other people's days better and like make a living and then have honest conversations with people. Uh, I don't want to be approached and have surface level conversations with people. I don't like it. Uh, and just because I very much, I know that about me, I very much enjoy learning about who, who people are and what makes them tick. Uh, and I don't want the attention of, 
uh, of being a famous person. Uh, it just does it. was very appealing to me when I thought I had that checklist. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to have. This is, I'm going to hit this mark. I'm going to hit this mark and I'm going to be so famous. I'm going to let in nightclubs. They're going to just let me ride in. You know, it's like, <laughs> like in the back door through the kitchen, some Russian guy's going to hit me on the back. You know, <laughs> And, uh, and then I was like, I don't want any of that. I just, I wanted, I just want to spread the joy. And then Leo, you had asked, uh, Nick, the question of like, why, uh, and I thought in my mind, I just thought why it's important to me to uh, spread joy is because I remember times when I've had really awful days and one person said something to me that changed, changed my whole day or, or I got to uh, even see a show or a comedian or, or just one person who just totally turned my day around where I was having very dark thoughts and really no motivation to do anything, feeling isolated. And one person made me smile. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I want to do that. I want to, I, I want to pay it back. Uh, it's like, um, a, a worthy obligation. I feel, of uh, just like, I want to be able to do that for other people. And, and I'm fine if they don't ever tell me if they, if they're like, Hey, you said that you really helped me out. I don't need to know if they want to share great. Uh, but if not, like, I just, if, if I can just help someone like people have helped me and they might not have even meant to have helped me during my dark times, but I just know what it meant to me. Uh, so I want to, I feel like that's my, that's a part of who I am and that's what I need to do. And that's, that's just what I, that's just what I want to be as a person. I, I was at a, a coffee shop yesterday and I hadn't been there in a couple months in the, uh, and I'd only been there maybe two or three times. And the barista, she said, uh, or the cashier said, uh, how have you been? And it really struck a chord with me uh, in like a, a, a very endearing way because she could have said, how are you? How's your day? But to, when someone asks you, um, how have you been? To me, it feels like they've been thinking about you and they, uh, they remember you. And so I really felt seen in that moment. And she probably had no idea that that, that just how have you been versus how are you? How's your day going? Those kind of flippant questions. Uh, it had a lot more meaning for me. And I was like, oh, she remembers me. Like, you know, it's been so long and not in like a sexual, like, um, you know, like, oh, we got to think, but it was just more of like, you know, um, and like in a very friendly, uh, amiable yeah. uh, way. And I told her, that. I go, you know what? Thank you for asking that question. I, that really lit me up just now. Uh, and I want to say thank you. And, and so and it goes back to you can spread joy in so many little ways. And sometimes in ways that we don't, you know, that's the thing. We don't always know when we've affected someone in that way. You know, they don't come back and tell us all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, gentlemen, uh, we this has been uh, amazing. I don't want to cut us off immediately because I'd, I'd ask both if you had any other questions that you wanted to to ask each other before we sign off here uh, that you had prepared or uh, anything else. And I'll just open up either one of you if you if you want to take over to ask any more questions. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you have any questions? What are your questions? <laughs> 
I'm just wondering any- how long I'm going to go on an additional soul search after this episode. I just feel, <laughs> I feel so good about this and just, uh, I, I, I'm so happy. So I, I just, I, one, I want to make sure I say thank you uh, both very much. Uh, but uh, Leo, I know you were taking notes and, uh, but if there's anything else that you, that you want to ask Leo. Uh, no, nah, you know, I, I, I don't. Um, no, me, you know, Nick and I, we talk a lot and Pat, you and I, we talk a lot and, um, uh, and I'm grateful for all those conversations and I'm grateful for conversations like these. Um, uh, it's, um, you know, I have friends from Europe and I'm, I'm so amazed at how they're able to have lunch with each other for two, three hours. Um, it's such a European thing and it's an art and, uh, and it's, and, and I know it's in my soul. It's it's um, I, my soul is in the wrong place. You know, uh, I, I I belong in Spain or Portugal, somewhere where they have three hour siestas. Um, I love work, but also love connecting and, and being with people. And uh, I love all of it. I love all the things that life has to offer. But um, so I'm, I'm grateful for moments like this. I got I got a question for Leo. Uh... What are you gonna be like as an old man? I'm old now. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't. Nick, I, I, man, I, I've been an old man since I was three years old. Okay, but when uh, you're seventy, what are you gonna be like when you're seventy? You know, what's what's funny is because like already I read the New York Times on Sunday. I'm I'm that old guy. Get up. I read the paper. Don't bother me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have, I have, I have, I drink tea. I shuffle around in my, in my, in my flippers. Uh, I, I notice the cars that go by. Hey, they, they, they're not from it. You know, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm old. I'm so old now. And uh, I hope I want to be like, just, I want to be a cool artsy seven year old. I want to be that seven year old that uh, is, you know, cool t-shirt cool jeans and some stacy adams uh, and and i and you know i could i can i can pontificate on on anything you know uh I, i'm i want to just want to be that that wise cool dude that uh that has lunch in france because i can and uh you know maybe i play the guitar uh that kind of thing and i and i i, I draw paint I don't know, man. I just, I want to be, I I, want to be, I still want to be hip. I want to always, I always want to be a person who uh, has friends who are much older than me and friends who are much younger than me and then friends at my age. I I, I firmly believe that you, you find joy if you can keep three generations of people around you because kids are so present so honest, so vulnerable. Um, they're, 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 they truly are a treasure. And old people are so full of uh, wisdom and experience and perspective. And um, they, they kind of ground you because all the things that as a 45 year old, I'm worried about, they were, talk, they had, they were talking about the same things when they were kids. Uh, and so you go, oh, we've been here before and they survived it. So that, that means I can uh, survive it. And then it's good to have people at your same level who, so to, to me, I, I just want to be a man of the world. I, I, I've always treasured uh, 
feeling like I can go anywhere and uh, and at least at the very least survive and connect and be a part of. And, uh, you know, like I, I was in Peru and I was like, man, it'd be cool to hang out here for a couple of weeks and, you know, dig up dirt and grow tomatoes and potato, <laughs> not tomatoes, but potatoes and quinoa and, and make things with my hand and, you know, let my beard grow out and just like fall off the mat. Like, it's so interesting because all these things that I, because that I, I identify with, I realize when I travel, I could forget all of it very easily. You know, I, I want to be a guy who wears a tux and uh, walks around barefoot in the, in the alleys of uh, Sri Lanka. You know, like to me, life is all of it is um, it's fascinating. Yeah. That's Nick, who do you, Nick, who do you want to be as an old man? I figured it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I said I want to be Robin Williams. That's, you know what? That was false. Uh, <laughs> I want to be Don Rickles. Now, Pat, was, wow, we really fast forward. It's like we stepped into DeLorean of psychology. Just, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, uh, I would love to be Don Rickles. That's what I would love wow. to be. Somebody who is known as a comedian, an insult comedian. So, you know, you approach him, he picks on you, you laugh and you, and he moves on. That's what I want. That's, yeah. I want to be the old guy that's like, ah, come here, you little hockey puck, you know, <laughs> just pick on yeah. you a little bit. All right, get out of there. Go enjoy life. You know what I'm saying? Ah, I'm glad this episode has helped you figure out the next 40 years. Yeah, <laughs> that would be it. Would be my dream. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific, uh, gentlemen. Before we close this out, is there uh, Nick? Is there anything you'd like to plug for our listeners? Uh, you can check out my uh, special on HBO. Love me at my worst. Uh, it's on HBO streaming, HBO Max, and uh, I have a podcast called True Scary Stories with Edie. If you guys want to listen to ghost stories and the paranormal, <laughs> fantastic. Terrific, Leo. How about yourself, buddy? Uh, I have a suicide prevention podcast called Before You Kill Yourself. It's on all the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, uh, whatever else is out there, Google Play. Um, and if you just go to leoflowers.com, um, you can, it links to all my stuff. And then if you want one-on-one coaching, a life coach, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Ah, oh, fantastic. All right, gentlemen, I'll, uh, I'm going to do our sign off and then uh, I'll hit stop record and then chat, but I can't thank you enough, uh, both for being on the episode, uh, Leo, you know, we've done a lot of work together. It's been great to get to know you. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting in person after a year and a half of <laughs> interacting, right. becoming virtual friends, Nick, uh, so happy. Uh, it's our first time, uh, ever talking and, and really enjoyed, uh, talking with you. So, uh, I know I was just a random guy who reached out basically, uh, and, so thank I'll you. Say, uh, thank you for doing this at 2.30 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. If I could contribute one thing, it's definitely that. Uh, so, uh, but uh, everyone listening, thank you so much. Uh, next episode is going to be uh, actually guest hosted by Tammy Pescatelli. And we're going to have a cast of wonderful female comedians. And they will be talking about what it's been like to be a female comedian and uh, things they've had to deal with and uh, how they've developed their careers and become stronger. So uh, you will just hear my voice for the 
the intro and the outro for next episode and uh, follow us on Instagram of the comics. And we also have of the comics podcast.com. That is of the comics podcast.com. All kinds of fun news. Uh, again, uh, Nick and Leo, thank you so much. Uh, tune in next time, everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs>